You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of Falato's Fantasy Corner, my Friday show that focuses on fantasy football, brought to you on the amazing platform of Big Blue View Radio. I hope there are a lot of fantasy football fans out there, but if there isn't, you want to learn, I'll be going over some of the basic terminology about the sport that really is a sport within the sport. By no means is fantasy football an exact science. There is so much game script, negative correlation between players, and kind of what I mean by that is, let's say receiver A goes off in a very good matchup, but receiver B in that same matchup doesn't. Something along those lines. Injuries play a really big factor, and really so does luck. But you can put yourself in an optimal position to succeed, and that is the goal, ladies and gentlemen. Put yourself into the best position, and hopefully through this podcast, you'll see that I have some valuable tips and tricks. I've been playing fantasy football for a really long time now. I've been studying it. Every offseason, I just dive in-depth on analysis of fantasy football. I used to intern at Matthew Barry's Fantasy Life app, which is an app that you can download on your phone, and it gives you real-time alerts about fantasy football. You can customize it to the team and the players that you have on your team. It's a really cool app that you could possibly check out if you really want to. But I've just been around the game for a while, and I have the tips and tricks up my sleeve, and I would like to impart those tips and tricks onto you, and we can have a good time talking about this fake football that we, hopefully, you included, love. So, on this show, we're going to be going over some lingo about fantasy football. And I'll expound on those tips and tricks that I alluded to to ensure that you know how to extract the most value out of knowing the lingo. So, some of these may seem obvious and silly. But tons of fantasy football players do not know the lingo and therefore cannot maximize their team's ability to win a league, which is the obvious conclusion that any fantasy football owner wants to achieve. Of course, you play to have fun, you play to talk some trash to your friends, and it's all good and all well. But end of the day, you want to win. If you watch the league, the amazing show about fantasy football, you want that Shiva. You do not want to be the Sacco. So first, I want to talk about the importance of the waiver wire. This has nothing to do with the draft, and I really want to focus on the draft on this show because we are in draft season, ladies and gentlemen, but the waiver wire is so incredibly important to winning leagues. Essentially, the waiver wire is an in-season roster tool that should be checked daily. That is daily, not once a week, not when it's free agent time, no, daily. Many casual fantasy football fans fail to monitor or even stay active on the free agent wire, especially when their teams start losing. If they do happen to win the league, it's because of extreme luck, and I, someone who lives on the waiver wire, detest everything about those players' existence. Most leagues, though, Tuesday is the day where waivers run. This means that after a week is completed, teams should reassess and reevaluate their rosters based on future matchups, consistency trends, Uh, their current roster, the opportunity cost of keeping a player on their team, and the overall effectiveness of that player. For instance, say your team is running back heavy and your second best wide receiver just went down with an injury and your wide receiver depth is shoddy at best to begin with. You may want to look at the waiver wire and analyze 
the potential available candidates at the wide receiver position. If you feel the player's schedule is fair and he may have an ascending fantasy outcome in the next coming weeks, you should probably add that player and maybe sacrifice one of the bottom-level running backs, especially ones that have limited upside, because a lot of running backs you may have on your roster could be plotters who, if you're lucky, they'll fall into the end zone, but how much upside do they really have, especially if they're in a running back by committee, which we'll go over a little bit later. The waiver wire in and of itself is just vital to the success of the league. I can't stress that enough, and it should be looked at constantly, not just on Tuesday. Wednesday morning is also an excellent time to check the waiver wire. The main reason being the waiver subtractions may be players that you have interest in. Someone in your league can get frustrated and cut a player for not performing the last couple weeks, but that player that they just cut just played against defenses like San Francisco or the Patriots and Pittsburgh. But now that player has like the Jets and Miami coming up on their schedule. The owner got fed up with his lack of effectiveness and just outright dropped this player. So now you can put a waiver claim in for this player and hopefully add a total stud to your roster with a much easier upcoming schedule. By doing this, one man's trash becomes another man's treasure. This player becomes your treasure. And then he can just have that second half breakout. Offensive coordinators can really start scheming to get him open because the matchups are so much better. Maybe the game script is better as well. And this could really work out to your benefit. And this happens all the time in fantasy football. People will just drop players because they're fed up with them because they had a couple bad weeks. You can come in and you could scoop those players up. And guess what? Down the stretch of the season, they're giving you those fantasy points towards the fantasy playoffs, and that's huge. By paying attention to the waiver wire, you will just ensure that you're more aware of the happenings in your specific league. Therefore, you can make your league makes pay when they make those dumb decisions that I was just talking about. And if your league is anything like the leagues I'm in with my friends, you can berate, denigrate, and hopefully checkmate the owner just totally out of the league. You just got to pay attention, though. Pay attention to the waiver wire. Be judicious. Consider all the variables that go into adding or dropping a player. Have the right process, and it will limit your mistakes. If you just have the right process. And sometimes, you know, you'll make mistakes. I've made plenty of mistakes, but I felt like my process my my thinking towards that decision was correct. Sometimes it doesn't materialize for you, and that's fine, as long as you just don't make a boneheaded decision and overlook something obvious. Because again, fantasy football, it's not an exact science. Things that make a ton of sense may not materialize as they apparently should. It's about limiting risk and maximizing value. So please do not neglect the waiver wire. Here's another lingo that you might hear. Now, people who played fantasy football for a while, I'm sure you're well aware of this acronym, but PPR. PPR means points per reception. So essentially, every catch a player makes, whether it's a wide receiver, a running back, a tight end, it means that one point will be rewarded to the player on top of the points they earn in yardage. So Golden Tate catches seven passes from Daniel Jones, let's say, for 70 yards. In a standard league where 10 yards equals one point, it's typically the standard league, that will be only seven points. But in a PPR league, it will be 14 points because every catch is one point. Now, a very common league format is half-point PPR. It's probably my favorite, if I'm going to be real. And in that format, Tate would have 3.5 extra points instead of seven because each reception is only a half a point. Pretty easy, right? But being aware of the league settings is a vital, vital, let me say it again, vital ingredient to fantasy success. And this must be known at the draft. A lot of people go into drafts and do not know the league settings, and it is an abysmal option to do that. 
One reason why players like Christian McCaffrey are so important in fantasy football is because they catch so many passes. Not only does that yardage get added to their total, but in PPR leagues, that's a full extra point per reception. Think about how many dump-offs Kyle Allen threw to Christian McCaffrey last year and Cam Newton the year before that. It's so vital to have players like that, players that catch passes in these full-point PPR leagues and in these half-point PPR leagues. And you can find late-round running backs like James White or Tariq Cohen. They have a lot more value in PPR and half-PPR leagues. Their stat line looks like eight catches for 40 yards in a standard scoring format league, then you're going to be disappointed with the four points that you get. But in a PPR league, you take the 12 points and hope he falls into the end zone next week. Hopefully you get that touchdown touchdown positive regression, as people call it. Paying attention to volume. Volume, volume, volume is everything. It's the name of the game in PPR leagues. Give me the guy who gets consistent targets from the quarterback over the player who relies on that big bomb once every six weeks. Just please know the scoring format of your league, though. If you're going to take anything away from this, know the scoring format. I can't tell you how many people fail to check the league settings tab on their app. It's inexcusable. It's lazy. Check your settings. Draft accordingly towards the scoring format, and you're going to have so much more success than the dopes who do not do that. Now, another acronym that is very, very popular is ADP. This stands for Average Draft Position. It's where the fantasy football industry sees a player being selected on an aggregate and specific level. There are ADP lists before every draft that compile all the experts that are in the industry from ESPN, CBS, Yahoo, what have you. Really, these lists tell you where a player is typically being drafted in mock simulators and where industry experts think they should be drafted given their potential, risk-reward factors, consistency levels, and things of that nature. All the kind of variables. These guys are experts in the field. Obviously, you look at guys like Matthew Barry, Field Yates. They get paid the big bucks to analyze this game. Stefania Bell, somebody who does a little bit of injury stuff for ESPN as well. They're going to have their ESPN ADP. The essence of understanding ADP is to understand typically where players are going to be drafted. You understand their value according to experts and the consensus. And then you judge where you're willing to draft said player. You can reach on ADP if you'd like. It just depends on your drafting strategy. But knowing the ADP is a valuable piece of knowledge heading into the draft. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm the guy going, yeah, a lot of the times in drafts when I see fellow league mates significantly reach on a player that they could have gotten four rounds later. It happens all the time in almost every draft. You don't want to be that person. You don't want to be the person who significantly reaches on a player and you just totally destroy the value of your team. Don't be that guy. Check these ADP lists. They can easily be found online. You can find aggregate lists from experts from every single major fantasy football sports entity. So there's no excuse to not check that. And then on the sites that you draft on, say you draft on ESPN, they're going to have a list of all the players and everybody selects from that list and there's bias in that list because people don't want to jump all the way down and select somebody but you may value that person higher and other fantasy football outlets may value that person higher so check those other lists as well because there's going to be someone sharp in your league who's going to scoop in and draft that guy and you could have had him around earlier but you thought, hey, you know, ESPN has him down here. So that means everybody in this league is going to value him down here. It's a dumb assumption. So let's try not to make that assumption. Stick to your guns, do your research, and draft accordingly. And then there's this little term called streaming. Streaming is a fantasy ideology that I use when circumstances permit. 
personally, I won't reach on a quarterback. And a lot of people I play fantasy with, especially in non-industry leagues, they reach on the quarterback. There are a few guys who will overreach and draft the quarterback way before their ADP. I think it's dopey. If that trend persists throughout the draft, I'm comfortable going into the season with a quarterback who has an easy opening schedule and then playing it from there. I've done this several times, and this is especially important in one quarterback leagues. The streaming strategy for quarterbacks, at least, is only really viable in one quarterback leagues, but it can be a 12-man league, too. I'm not a huge advocate for carrying two quarterbacks on a roster in a one-quarterback league, but situations can dictate. In a 12-team league, there are going to be at least 18 quarterbacks owned, give or take. Some team will carry more than one. Worst-case scenario is that every team except you will own two quarterbacks, which equals 23 quarterbacks. This means you can be patient. Bolster all the positions on your lineup. Draft the tight end high if you'd like, if you really want George Kittle, Travis Kelsey, Zach Ertz, player like that. And then you can come away later in the draft with your quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo, Ryan Tannehill, Baker Mayfield, players like that. And then you can evaluate your team week by week, juxtaposed with all the available quarterbacks that are going to be on the waiver wire in that one quarterback, 12-man league. And you can literally do this while you're sitting on the can, on your phone, give Instagram or Twitter a break for five minutes, you know? You can literally just scroll through your fantasy league, be like, oh, oh, Jimmy Garoppolo, he's playing against the Giants this week. Plug him in. Or something along those kind of lines. Then if you don't like the matchup of the quarterback, you can pick up someone else and play him while this schedule looks friendly. It's a strategy a lot of people use. And quarterbacks aren't the only ones to be streamed, though. Tight ends are often streamed as well. I use that strategy quite a bit, to be honest, because sometimes I don't want to spend a high pick on someone like George Kittle, Travis Kelsey, Zach Ertz, and I don't want to reach on players like Jared Cook, so I'll wait late and try to get somebody who could be in for some targets, a team that might be down and throwing a lot in the fourth quarter, and look at a tight end that way. Bring that guy in, and hopefully I strike gold. Last year, in my main fantasy football league, I did that with two tight ends, Darren Waller and Mark Andrews. Both ended up being a top five tight end in fantasy football, so it really worked out for me. But there hasn't been other times where it definitely didn't work out. So you got to try to be smart with how you how you go about that and really pay attention to everything that's kind of going on in your league. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Defenses are also streamed, and I highly recommend this. Streaming quarterbacks and tight ends are just options if plan A fails. There's no need to worry if you have to stream those positions, but defenses should be streamed. That is, of course, if the defense isn't consistently doing well, and defenses should be one of your last two picks in the draft. So if you get a defense late in the draft and that defense is doing well like the Patriots last year every single week, obviously don't stream that. Keep that defense. But if you get these defenses that are hit or miss and really rely on one turnover, maybe taking it to the house or something along those lines, but are still giving up like 35 points a game, don't hang on to that defense. It's pretty self-explanatory. Now, another term, handcuff. Basically, this is really only used for running backs since it's a very volatile position, very violent position. Players get injured all the time. But a handcuff is the backup of a very productive and effective running back. When I think of handcuffs, I think of insurance policies to the starters. For instance, Alexander Madison is the handcuff to Dalvin Cook, a running back who receives most of the work in the offense. But when Dalvin Cook gets hurt, Madison should theoretically step in. Grant, last year, Boone stepped in because Madison was also dealing with an injury. 
Tony Pollard is a handcuff to Ezekiel Elliott, Chase Edmonds to Kenyon Drake, situations like that. Running backs that receive a bulk of the work and they are somewhat susceptible to injury because of the violent nature of the sport and their massive workload. Finding those backups, that's the key to kind of getting that handcuff. And handcuffing, it's a wise strategy. I don't always use it, to be honest. But when the opportunity presents itself, I'm fine with going along with it. You want to look at situations where coaching staffs will give the backup most of the work as well. So some coaches like to employ these running back by committees and picking up, say, their be- when their best running back gets hurt, you pick up their backup. That doesn't necessarily mean he's going to get a bulk of the work. So you want to pay attention to how the offensive coordinators call plays before the injury. We've seen some guys go down in the past where the star running back goes down, like, say, Le'Veon Bell. And then someone like D'Angelo Williams steps in and he gets the entire workload that Lev Bell had. That was awesome for people who scoured the waiver wire and found D'Angelo Williams and plugged him into their lineup. But it doesn't always happen that way. You have to look at the situations where coaching staffs will give the most of that workload to that backup. And I look at the Giants last year, for instance. Saquon Barkley gets hurt and Wade Goldman is put into this excellent place as the handcuff. He ends up falling into the end zone a few times gets a bunch of catches against Washington but then he ends up getting hurt and like the first drive against Minnesota the next week didn't work out for Wayne and I don't think it's going to work out this year either and not because Deion Lewis will get injured but he's just not an excellent handcuff because I doubt the Giants will give him a large percentage of the carries if Barkley goes down whoever the third running back is whether it be Wayne Gallman or Javon Leak I figured they would kind of work into that rotation and Deion Lewis isn't even close to being as dynamic as Saquon Barkley, obviously. So I don't know if Deion Lewis would be the excellent backup. Granted, he did step in against the Saints when Derrick Henry was out last year. Saints had one of the best run defenses in the league last year, and he actually had a decent outing. It wasn't great, but it was better than a lot of people expected. I want players who can fill that role effectively, though. The types of players that are the number one waiver wire pickup in a week when a key player does go down. Also... You can select someone else's handcuff in the draft. Something I've done plenty of times. Try to leverage it in a trade. Say the Zeke owner selects him. And then he plans on getting Tony Pollard with one of his late round picks. But you kind of just swoop in there. You just totally spit in this guy's morning coffee. You take Tony Pollard. Now you have some leverage on him. And say he chose a player late that you kind of like. And he really wanted Pollard. But he thought he could get him later. Maybe you could swing a deal with him. And he'll give up that player. Because he didn't know... You were going to be ruining his morning coffee like you did. Or you could simply hold on to that player, kind of sort of hope for an injury, which isn't morally correct or ethical on any level. But hey, you want that money. You want the gold at the end of the rainbow. We know that gold is at the end of the rainbow when it comes to fantasy football, at least if you have a really good commissioner and it's not a corrupt league. Either way, handcuffing is a sound strategy for an opportunist to either trade or hold on to the player. So try to keep that in mind. Now, I refer to this next one, this next acronym, it's RBBC, and it stands for Running Back by Committee, also known as some in the fantasy football industry as some of the more frustrating moments for fantasy owners. The league has kind of trended away from that bell cow back in recent years, but running backs like Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley, and Ezekiel Elliott, along with last year's Dalvin Cook, have kind of carried that bell cow label with them. They've been much more bell cowish than a lot of other running backs. 
more and more teams have gone with the style that the 49ers and the Broncos are rolling with several different talented running backs with varying skill sets kind of leads to sporadic fantasy output it really gets frustrating I mean even running backs like Todd Gurley a once true bell cow that dominated the league for a very short amount of time it was brief but he succumbed to injury and now he was cut and never even played it down on his new contract that he signed from the Rams uh, that was not the wisest move by Rams management but these bell cow backs they're the bee's knees in fantasy football and running backs by committee man it doesn't mean the running backs in the committee can't be valuable but it means that the expectations should be lowered when making the decision many people put a lot of trust in players like sony michelle last year but the patriots are the king of rbbc's only bill belichick could have a guy like jonas gray rush for four touchdowns against the rival colts and then cut him a few weeks later <laughs> it was so funny that's just so belichickian I mean, there have been fantasy football tandems that have yielded good fantasy production in the past. Combinations like Melvin Gordon and Austin Eckler with the Los Angeles Chargers, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt towards the latter half of the season last year come to mind. And even Raheem Mostert and Tevin Coleman had some success at certain points in the season. But running back by committees, it can be concerning. And they must be viewed accordingly, to be honest. Because you can get burned. A lot of people have been burned. And you look around the league right now, you have a lot of young running backs, rookie running backs. Jonathan Taylor. Marlon Mack. That's a running back by committee right there. We know Marlon Mack is talented. He had a lot of fantasy production in the past couple seasons. But now you bring in Jonathan Taylor. They spent a second round pick on him. Hmm. Not as much. Carryon Johnson last year. Carryon Johnson was a lot of people's fantasy darling heading into the draft season last year. Dealt with some injuries. Lions went and they drafted Georgia running back DeAndre Swift. So what's going to happen with that RBBC? Is Carryon Johnson not going to receive any carries? And I feel like a lot of people are writing off those veteran running backs, which I don't feel like is the wisest thing, especially in this weird, strange offseason that 2020 has presented the world. Because those players are going to know the system a little bit better. They're veterans, even though they're young running backs. They're still veterans compared to the rookies. And that might lead to them getting more carries. So guys like Marlon Mack, Jonathan Taylor, I see them down on a lot of rankings lists from people that I respect in the industry. But given everything that's going on with 2020... I might be hard-pressed to say that they're going to dominate the carries, especially early on, over some of the rookie counterparts that were drafted. So that's definitely something to pay attention to. But before we go on with some more terminology, some league insight into different kinds of leagues that fantasy football has, let's hear a word from our lovely sponsors. This next one is kind of easy. It's flex. So anybody who's played fantasy football knows what a flex is. It's not anything that has to do with anybody's muscles or anything like that. But it's a position that basically the I would say the major, vast majority of fantasy football leagues utilize. Where you can start a wide receiver, a running back, or a tight end. So if you have three talented running backs, you can start them all. In a normal fantasy league, it's one quarterback, two running backs, two wide receivers, a tight end, a defense, and a kicker. That's the standard league. When you add the flex in, which a lot of those normal leagues do, then you can start three wide receivers, two tight ends if you have two talented tight ends, or three running backs. So it kind of lets you diversify your unit, and that can be really important. And then you have super flex. Now, I love super flex leagues. They're starting to kind of proliferate around the fantasy football industry much more now, which I'm stoked about. The super flex leagues, instead of just a flex, it's a super flex. So you could start the running back, the wide receiver, and the tight end there, but you could also start the quarterback. So that adds a whole nother strategy to how you want to draft because instead of waiting on quarterbacks, which you should do in a one quarterback league, 
quarterback's value goes up significantly in these two quarterback leagues because there's not going to be as many on the free agent wire. So you might not want to stream. That's not going to be a wise thing, especially in a 12-team super flex league. So you want to really, guys like Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes, they skyrocket up to potential first round picks in those super flex leagues because you really want to ensure that you get competent quarterback play because the free agent market is going to be a dearth of quarterback talent because everybody's going to own multiple quarterbacks because they can start two. So super flex leagues are awesome in that in that light. I really love them. And then you have vultures. Vulture, it's just a little term when it comes to, say you have Saquon Barkley. And Giant fans, we know because we've seen this before. Saquon Barkley gets you 40 yards, gets you down to the two-yard line. You're all excited. You're like, yeah, he didn't get in the end zone, but he'll get in now. But then Pat Shermer subs him out of the game. And you see number 22, Wayne Gallman, run onto the field. And he ends up scoring the touchdown. And that is what a vulture is. It's so demoralizing because touchdowns are worth so much more than anything in fantasy football. That's six points right there that you're losing out on. And it makes your, it's very tilting and it makes your blood boil. But that's what a vulture is. So if you ever hear, oh, he got vultured, that means, oh, well, that should have been Derrick Henry's touchdown. But some, for some reason, Deion Lewis fell into the end zone. It gets very, very frustrating. It happens though. Now let's talk about some specific drafts. The most common is a snake draft. This is the typical fantasy draft that most people are a part of. The first overall pick selects last in the second round, and the last pick in the first round picks first in the second round, so on and so forth. So that's basically just a really typical fantasy draft that we've all more than likely been a part of. Then you have auction drafts, and auction drafts are very, very fun. These are the best and most comprehensive types of drafts, in my opinion, but it can be difficult because it requires a lot of attention to detail, a lot of planning, and it's best if the owners are in the same room. So it's not for the laissez-faire kind of fantasy football player. Basically, every owner has the same cap space going into the draft. So let's say it's 200 theoretical dollars. Think of you guys as an NFL franchise, and you have a cap. But these owners say that's $200. They can spend the cap however they please. So players will be pitched to the league. And it's just like a regular auction. Owners can bid for the players. So if an owner wants to do something crazy and draft Saquon Barkley and Christian McCaffrey, that could possibly cost him about half, so $100 worth of his cap, leaving only $100 for the rest of his roster. Then that owner can attempt to rely on the cheap late-round targets with upside like tight end Hayden Hurst, who's in a new situation in Atlanta. Darius Slayton, somebody who showed a lot of promise last season, he's entering a new offense right now, and he could be in for a real breakout year, more so than what he already had. Or maybe even somebody like Alexander Madison as a running back. And then you kind of, sort of hope that he falls into the starting position. Again, you don't want to really be malevolent and wish something bad on Dalvin Cook, but hey, it's football, it's a violent game, and you want your guy to have success. But in auction drafts, they add such a different element to the game. And if you do auction drafts, have somewhat of a plan going into the draft. Like, you'll allocate 40% of your cap to running backs, 40 to wide receivers, 15 to tight ends, and then scrap up the rest of your team with the remaining 5%. That's, of course, if you want to stream kickers, defenses, and quarterbacks. You can do this any which way you please. You can allocate more to the quarterback, less to the wide receivers. You think you have a bunch of wide receivers you can go off, a bunch of sleepers. And then you don't have to allocate as much to your wide receiver position. So it's really whatever strategy that you want, depending on the value in the draft. And say if there's a bunch of late round guys you think can go off, then 
those late round guys you can get at a lower price and then if they do go off you hit big so a lot of different strategies when it comes to auctions that's why i like it now this fab this is another one right here fab stands for free agent acquisition budget and it's not necessarily a type of league but it's a type of waiver wire system it's a waiver wire method where each team owner is given a budget for the season that is used to bid on players so let's use 200 dollars again so now this time it's for the waiver wire. So you have $200. So say week one, you have Ezekiel Elliott. Ezekiel Elliott goes down with an injury. No one drafted Tony Pollard and he's sitting there on the free agent wire. What are you going to necessarily do? Are you going to burn 40% of your fab to pick him up? Maybe that could be an option, but somebody else might burn 70. It really, it really adds a whole element to how you're going to pick up people because you could save a lot of your fab till the end of the season and then you could really pick up guys when guys really start getting injured through attrition and things like that. So fab is a very, very strategic tool for the waiver wire that is excellent. And I love leagues that do adopt it. I'm in a bunch of fab leagues and it's a lot, a lot of fun, to be honest. And I've seen teams like last year, not to go back with the Giants, but we're going to because this is a Giants radio platform. Saquon Barkley got injured. I had somebody in my league burn 70% of his fab on week four going into Washington on Wayne Gallman. Wayne Gallman gets hurt in week five against Minnesota, and that team was burned. So you really need to be smart with how you allocate your fab. But I advise this if you're in a league with a lot of, if you're in a competitive league with people who do pay attention. I feel it really lets the people who do pay attention win more, which is a good thing. And it also, there's a lot of risk management going into that. So that's something that I also enjoy. Then we have IDP leagues. That's individual defensive player. An IDP league is a league that has a roster spot that has a defensive player. So there's defensive linemen, linebackers, and defensive backs that you can draft. And their statistics are judged off the tackles they make, passes defense, interceptions, sacks, all the things that you kind of think of when it comes to defensive players. The weird thing about IDP leagues is players that are really good aren't always the best players. You kind of actually want players who aren't that good in IDP leagues because if you want somebody like, say, Richard Sherman, doesn't get as many tackles because not a lot of people throw his way so he doesn't really have the opportunity to make plays on balls whereas a really bad cornerback is going to get a ton of tackles because he's getting picked on all the time and he may break up a few passes so when it comes to the cornerback position like i remember one year i was in an idp league someone drafted patrick peterson patrick peterson really didn't end up playing well and it's not because he's a bad player it's just because no one wants to throw in his direction so there's a lot of strategy in it when it comes to that you could say. I think linebackers just racking up tackles like Blake Martinez was a really good IDP player these last couple years because he had over 100 tackles the last three seasons. Some defensive linemen who bat some balls down, who get stops at the line of scrimmage, who get those sacks, those guys are really valuable. Players like Khalil Mack in his vintage years. But some defensive backs, they just get ignored by the offense and they're not getting as many tackles as they can. But then there's cornerbacks like Grant Haley who are getting picked on and he's always getting these tackles. That player might have a little bit more value in an IDP league, even though he's a significantly worse player than someone like Patrick Peterson. So there's strategy in it, and you want to definitely look at the rankings from that perspective because you just be like, oh, wow, this player is a really good football player. Let me draft him. May not get the stats, which means you're not going to get the fantasy points. Then we have keeper leagues. Keeper leagues mean you can keep – it's a running league, so every year it says the same people are in it. You can keep one or two players. So say you start a league this year and it's a keeper league and you draft Saquon Barkley. 
Next year, you can keep him, but say you got Saquon Barkley in the first round, you can keep him, but you will not have a first-round pick next year. But say you got Mark Andrews last year in the 12th round, and now you can keep him, and he's a top-five tight end, top-three tight end, arguably. Now you can keep him, but you won't have a 12th-round pick next year. And you're like, wow, what do I do? I want that first-round pick, and then I can get whatever player isn't kept and just lose a 12th-round pick and have Mark Andrews. So it really adds an element of strategy through that manner. And sometimes some leagues do two player keep, three player keep, and there's not as much turnover. And some of your first round picks are normally would be third, fourth round picks. But still, you want that first round pick. So those are the best players that are going to be available because everybody else is being kept, depending on how many keepers that league has. So that's what a keeper league is. And then we have the term boom or bust. That is a player who could perform one of two ways in a season really well or really poorly it can also mean an inconsistent player who scores a lot of points one week and very few the next week so boomer bust is kind of similar to floor or ceiling which is another term used a lot in fantasy football industry and no not referring to the ground we stand on with roof over our heads rather it's a player's floor their fantasy floor and the player's fantasy ceiling what that means is the lowest of the low the player will perform and the highest of the high Similar to boomer bust, like I said, but the difference is that floor and ceiling are valuable to know because it sets a baseline for the player depending on his opportunity, his touches, his red zone usage, his receptions, things along those lines. Take a player like Christian McCaffrey, has an incredibly high floor and an incredibly high ceiling, which is ideal. And then you look at someone like 2019 Odell Beckham Jr. He had a really low floor because he would give you some stink, stinky, stink games. Yet he had a high ceiling because he has this transcendent talent, even though it wasn't on display as much as the Browns would have hoped. Players with low floors and high ceilings are the ones with the most variance. So these players don't typically receive a ton of usage. But when they do boom, think about vintage Deshaun Jackson or modern-day Will Fuller, they'll win you a week. Sometimes they'll score something like 35 points from a wide receiver two position how are teams going to beat you when you have 35 points from your wide receiver two unless everybody else on your team just died but other weeks these same players could be the next week the week before that one week they get you like two and a half points and essentially burn your entire matchup so being aware of a player's floor and ceiling going into a matchup can really help give you an idea of how they'll perform throughout that matchup if you have a team like the 2019 giants they had so many coverage lapses. They couldn't figure it out. DeAndre Baker was running around lost. So players like that, huh, it's a boom receiver going up against them. He may break away for a 40-yard touchdown pass. Could be worth starting to pay attention to what's going on in the NFL. Then you have stacking. Stacking players. This means basically when you have multiple players from the same team in your lineup. So it's really specifically a quarterback and a wide receiver. That's a stack. This is very, very common in DFS. And I want you to think about some of the big games in recent NFL history. 49ers and the Saints in 2019. Chiefs and Rams in 2018. Saints and Giants in 2015. Saints and Lions in 2017. They all come to mind. Now imagine having the top fantasy performers on your fantasy team. It's kind of hard to think. And you lose that matchup if the other owner failed to possess any of those players, right? It's because if you had, say, Drew Brees and Michael Thomas in some of these games, or if you had 
Jared Goff, Robert Woods, Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Tyree Kill. All those guys stacked. That's going to be a lot of fantasy points. And stacking is well worthwhile, even in season-long leagues. It's not just a DFS strategy. It can be a high-risk, high-reward. But say you go heavy with those Chiefs that I was just talking about. No one's going to chastise you for that decision. They're a high-powered offense with many weapons. And figure to be in several shootouts since their defense is middle of the pack. Much better last year after they added Tyron Matthew to their credit. But having Patrick Mahomes, Tyree Kill stack, it's wise. But if Patrick Mahomes ends up going down with an injury, then your fantasy team doesn't only lose a quarterback, but it also loses the value of someone like Hill that you drafted high because the quarterback is now injured, and that's the risk of it. However, if opportunity presents itself and Mahomes and Hill both fall to a point where there is a lot of value in the draft, which is unlikely for Mahomes, but anything's possible, then selecting these players that could be a really wise course of action. Think about it. 2018. Wasn't that long ago. If you had the Mahomes-Hill stack, then you owned the quarterback one and the wide receiver one in standard leagues. And in full point PPR leagues, I want to say Hill was the wide receiver four on an average fantasy points per game basis. And now you throw Travis Kelsey into that equation, then you have the tight end one. So in 2018, if you stacked your team with Mahomes, Hill, and Kelsey then you probably won a lot of your matchups. But if they ran into a tough matchup, then your team was sort of screwed. Again, very high risk, very high reward. Stacking can definitely work with quarterbacks and receivers, and some studies show that running back, quarterback, and wide receiver type stacks, or any kind of variation of quarterback, wide receiver with a running back, leads to some negative correlation, which does make some sense. But with the high scoring nature of the NFL, some of these offenses, there's enough to go around where the quarterback wide receiver can dominate in the first half to acquire the lead and then have the running back handle most of the second half work in garbage time and hopefully fall into the end zone when while the team is bleeding the clock with a big lead. The fact of the matter is stacking works in the right situations. It can be risky, but that's fantasy football. You got to risk it for the biscuit sometimes. As for DFS, stacking is one of the foundational ways to attempt to secure a GPP victory. I'll be talking a lot of DFS on this pod too. GPP is a guarantee prize pool where the top 10% of the tournament win a higher sum of the money. Therefore, the best ways to win is to be risky and stack players in a good high scoring matchup where game script should allow for the team to be competitive playing well into the fourth quarter. Think about some of the, think about some of these high scoring games. I mean, you can be contrarian with this too. If you're contrarian with it, you stacked Daniel Jones with Saquon Barkley, a move that some view as contrarian, but we saw against Washington, Daniel Jones throw five touchdown passes, one to Barkley, which means you're going to get 12 points on your fantasy team, and then Barkley rushed for 189 yards and added four catches for 90 yards with two total touchdowns. That seemed to work out. Now, didn't it? You could also, in that specific matchup that we're talking about in week 16, Roll with some low, cheap Washington players in hopes that it's a high-scoring affair. So think about that Week 16 matchup. You had Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley both go off. And then there was a player who was really cheap on DFS platforms named Steven Sims Jr. If you put him into your lineup, cheap across the board on all DFS platforms, who's coming off of an 11-target game, yet is still cheap. He's getting the workload there, everybody. If you put him into your lineup, then you would have been greatly rewarded. And if you had a 
decent lineup with just chalk players, which means players that everyone knows should go off, along with the contrarian nature of Barkley, Jones, and then Steven Sims Jr., who had six catches for 64 yards and two touchdowns, then you could have really put yourself into a position to win high on these GPPs, and you could have really came away with some life-altering cash if you put it into the Millionaire Maker. If you pay enough attention, you can possibly be onto something with a lot of these games. They seem innocuous, but they're sneaky stack spots in DFS. Stacking is definitely a strategy to use in DFS, and it's also a strategy to use in season-long. Just pay attention to the Vegas lines, see what Vegas is saying throughout the week and then what the over-under is. If it's like a 55-point over-under, it might be a really high-scoring affair. But if it's a 39-point over-under, tends to probably not be that high-scoring. So you got to pay attention to a lot of those kind of things. And that's a bunch of lingo that I hope you learn something from. And one more thing. If you're into fantasy football and you love comedy, you can go to Hulu and you can watch The League. It is a very funny show that is basically about fantasy football but you don't necessarily need to know that much about fantasy football to get the comedic humor so definitely check that out just wanted to give that show a shout out but hey next episode we'll be going over some more tips and tricks i just really wanted to get in on the lingo give you guys some tips on this first inaugural episode of philato's fantasy corner i hope you guys enjoyed this on big blue view radio and i hope you guys have a lovely day afternoon or night Take care, everyone, and be safe.